Well, good morning to everyone here um, in the main auditorium. Good morning to those who are watching uh, via our live stream. A joy and privilege to be able to be together uh, in person and to enjoy this, uh, to be together uh, with our online family as well. And so as we do that this summer, this togetherness, it's with the theme of one another, with the theme of one another. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 13. As you're turning there, you're just going to have to continue to endure your pastor's existential crisis of the weather of New England. Last week was November. (laughs) This week is August. Who knows what tomorrow will hold? How exciting. (laughs) One another. We're going to look at some important words from Jesus. They're all important. Um, We're going to look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 this morning. So if you would, follow along with me over these two verses. Jesus speaking, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one another. Let's pray. God, as we consider this theme, this topic this summer, we certainly ask for your grace in our hearts. God, would you help us to, to get a sense of who you are in an increasing way, that you would give us a, a joy in what we behold and see, and that you would bring about a transformation in the manner in which we live. Now, we pray this for your glory and for our good. And so be with us at the start of this. Be with us now, even this morning, as we consider these words together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are 59 one another commands in the New Testament. Additionally, there are, I don't know, maybe 40 or so commands associated with the sort of mutual care and commitment that the church, the local church, is to have. So you're looking at 100-ish kinds of direct focused attention about being the church. This summer, we're going to consider a number of these. We're going to consider love one another, members of one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another, show hospitality to one another, serve one another, live with humility toward one another, bear with one another, be kind to one another, exhort one another, and encourage one another. And as you get a feel and a sense of this, and as you think about the fact that all that data in the New Testament is so focused on how we are being the church, it it shows to us that how we live together as a local church matters greatly in terms of the attention and application that the Bible gives to it. Matters greatly. And as we consider this series together, one another. I want us to see that and hope, and I'm praying that this tagline that we have with it becomes all the more real and evident in the life of our church. And that tagline is this, one another, cultivating a gospel community. Cultivating a gospel community. Cultivating the work of cultivating something so that it would bear good fruit. That we would do the work together to, to, in reliance upon God of all grace, to see our community of people, our church family, 
be fueled by the gospel, shaped by the gospel, and fruitful by the gospel. And this is important. As we think about that, there are some things that we have to deconstruct when it comes to church. This idea of one another is not about a commodity to consume, but a character to cultivate. This isn't a commodity that we all come here to consume, but rather a characteristic that we all come here to help cultivate by God's grace. It's not so much what you get from church or what you give to church, but rather what God is doing and transforming His church to reflect the incredible, amazing truth of the gospel. That may be hard for some of us, because maybe we think about church as what I get from it or what I give to it. And we need to cultivate a different mentality when it comes to one anothering. So to start this series off, we're going to start with the one another that rules them all, like the ring, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. It's the one one another that informs all the rest, and that is love one another. We're going to spend two weeks on it. We're going to lay foundation this week, and then we're going to look at some of the specifics or at least the characteristics of it in greater detail next week, both from about where we are here in John chapter 13 and 15. So first up is loving one another. And we are to love one another as a reflection of the gospel. And that means how we love one another reveals what's most important to us. How we love one another reveals, puts on display what is most important. Most important in our worship and most important through our witness. Reveals it. It shows what it is the manner or character of our loving one another or lack of love of one another, whatever it might be, reveals what is most important in our worship and through our witness. So let's dig into these two verses from Christ um, and, and work through that together. First of all, how we love one another reveals what is most important in our worship. And, and whatever it is, it is, going, it is the call to love one another that Jesus is calling us to is a, a call to be a reflection of a greater love. That's the call here. That our lives together, shared together, lived out together would be a reflection of a greater love. That our loving one another reflects God's love, the love that God is and has. Think about it like this, and this is very foundational. Think about the moon. The moon brightens the night sky by reflecting the light of the sun. And if you and I were to follow the, the source of light all the way to the moon, we, we can't stop there. We realize that the moon is not emanating its own light. It's only reflecting it. And so we have to keep following the source of light back to its origin, and that being the bright, huge, glorious sun. So it is with our love of one another. That if we are to follow that love back, we realize it's actually reflecting something even greater. That's the nature and character of what our love of one another should be. It shouldn't be a cul-de-sac. It should actually be a thoroughfare on to this greater love that we find in God displayed through the gospel. It's foundational that we see it as such. 
It's important that we understand that that's what our loving one another is. It is reflecting a greater love. One that if we work hard together and joyfully, that we zero in on what that love looks like by focusing on the person and work of Jesus Christ because he is the greatest, final, fullest display of God's love. And the greatest display within the greatest display of God's love is on display at the cross. So by focusing our thoughts, our affections, our worship on the greatest display of the greatest love, we'll have a profound impact then on the manner in which we love one another. So look again at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Some things about this verse. First of all, he says it's a new commandment. New? doesn't seem all that new, at least not in content. We've heard this before in the Bible. We've come across the call to love one another before. So what is new? It's not new in content, but it's definitely new in context. Let me explain a few things first. Obviously, it's not new in content. Jesus already said as much in Mark chapter 12 earlier in his ministry. He was asked about what's the greatest commandment, and, and, and many of you know these words, but it's important. He's summing up or, or sort of summarizing the, the commandments that we find in the Old Testament and, he, and the law and the prophets, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Certainly Jesus is bringing in and drawing on Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. So these are not new necessarily in content. That's been the call all along. But it is new in context. Something radical has changed and happened. Jesus. Jesus has arrived. Jesus flips the script. Jesus changes the context. Jesus fulfills all of God's redemptive purposes and promises. It's here now. It's not anticipation, but it's in fulfillment. Jesus changes everything by doing what we can't do to give us what we can't gain. The reality of the gospel changes the context in this. Loving one another, just like any other commandment you will find in the Bible, moves from a duty you cannot carry to a delight you get to enjoy. Why? Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the duty and pours out His grace on our lives, changing us, so now we are delighting in something that we once couldn't drag. He changes everything. There's nothing left for us to carry because Christ carried it all. Christ is the fulfillment of what God has intended to do. We live in light of that. We, we live in the joy of that. We live in the radiance of that. We get to reflect that. And one of the ways we get to reflect that is in our love of one another. So it's not necessarily new in content, but it's new in context. We get to do what we once could never have done because Christ has overcome our sin. Christ has defeated the grave. 
Christ is reigning and ruling. Christ has sent the Spirit. Christ is proclaimed and held up and held out through the gospel. That changes everything about how we go about loving one another. And you have that. You have the one greater than death, greater than Satan. You have that. So that's the new. And then he says, just as I have. Well, we, we need to set our head, our hearts, our affections first and foundationally on Christ as most important. If we want to talk about our loving of one another, we can't do that until we settle together. That Christ, what God has done for us through Christ is most important. Not important, not significantly important, most important. John 13, just a few verses earlier, in verses 14 and 15, direct our attention. So he says, do it just as I have. Well, immediate context is very helpful for us. Jesus just did something kind of amazing. He washed his disciples' feet, and he says these words, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So that helps us understand that if we're going to look at and cling to and treat Jesus as most important, then some of those things are going to start getting reflected in our lives. And what we find is that our loving one another is to be selfless and sacrificial and purposeful. It's to be done on purpose just as Jesus did. It's sacrificial just as Jesus did. It's selfless just as Jesus did. Our loving one another is a reflection of the love of Christ. But, I say all that, this isn't a be like Jesus point. It's a behold Jesus point. It's not a call to just go live out and be like Jesus. It's behold this Jesus. You see, our call to love one another is a reflection of the greater love, and our beholding that greater love comes before our becoming like that greater love. Our beholding together informs and fuels our becoming like what Christ is calling us to. If we aren't beholding who God is and what God has done in our worship, it will stunt our loving one another. Easy, insignificant, fleshly things of our own preferences, and proclivities will get in the way of our loving one another if we're not beholding with great regularity and joy and rehearsal the wonder of who God is and the sufficiency of His grace for us. Our differences in personality and preferences will get in the way. We'll be easily distracted and easily offended. All of that melts in the brightness of God's love on display through the gospel. And so if there's anything that we need to labor together to do, is that, that we labor together to behold with great joy and wonder and hope in who God is and all he does. And, and as we do that, we see that our loving one another is really an overflow of a loving God. 
The more our, our heads and hearts and lives together as a church are treating all that God has done for us in Christ as most important, it informs our worship and that informs our lives. When we look Godward, we see perfect love on display in the Trinity. And it's made accessible to us through the person and work of the, of, of the Son, of Jesus. And it's applied to our lives by the powerful, drawing near work of the Holy Spirit. Think about this love that we see when we look toward Christ. Just a few chapters later in John 17, we find this description. Jesus praying for his people. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. There is an eternal love on display through Jesus and we get to see that and behold that and draw upon that. And then think about what John, the apostle here that we're considering, he wrote some smaller letters in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 4, and maybe your head and heart already went there, it says these words, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this The love of God was made manifest among us. Here's how we see it, know it, and experience it, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. We must, together, hold as most important in our worship all that God has made available to us through the gospel. And as we do that, we find that our call to love one another takes us on a journey to the source of love like following the light of the moon all the way back to the sun. At the heart, the DNA even of our loving one another, it's to be rooted in the beholding the perfect love of God on display through Jesus and delivered to us through the gospel. That means before we talk about the ways we can love one another, we must first be a people who worship the God of love. This is very foundational. I know I'm not really even getting into any of that, but if we don't have that foundation, what are we building on? Our loving one another starts with our worship of God. Well, it starts with God's grace to us so that we can even worship God. And then, most amazingly, it it moves into our witness. How we love one another reveals what's most important in what we worship, and it reveals what's most important through our witness. So if our worship is a reflection of a greater love, our witness is a reflection with a greater purpose, with a greater purpose. Have you noticed this in these two verses? We'll look at verse 35 here in a second, but as you think about this, we we see that when Jesus is talking about this very discipleship-minded part, like what does it look like to be together, it's outward of his focus, outward in worship, outward in the way that it is known outside of our context. It's outward. There's a dynamic that our loving one another makes gospel fruit known to others. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So obviously this is concerned about some discipleship, but what we find here in these verses is that discipleship is first fueled by worship and then evident in our witness. It's like following Christ is a life of beholding Christ and making Christ known. So rather than it being uh, something, uh, a mindset that, that we go to church and we think, what is church going to give to me today? Or we go to church pretty happy about ourselves and think, what are we going to give to church today? Rather, we, we gather together as the church and we behold the wonder and glory of Christ and we revel in that, we rejoice in that, and we make much of that together because when we think about it, if it weren't for God, God's grace, would we even be here right now? No. And so the thing that unites this eclectic group of people that I'm looking at from all different ages and stages, yes, I got it in this week. Um, sorry, it's an inside joke with some of my family. I say ages and stages. Sorry for that distraction. As we look at this eclectic group and we think of all the various experiences and backgrounds and realities that we are all facing right now, the thing that binds us together is the fact that God graciously rescued us from our sin and delivered us out of the domain of darkness into his kingdom of light so that we could behold him and know him and rejoice in him for all eternity. That's pretty amazing news. Amazing news. And instead of thinking what we get or give, what if we came here eager to behold and wonder? How would that change the nature of our loving one another? Well, radically. Because when we're busy about getting or giving, we put ourselves in the center. We make ourselves the most important. Quickest way to undo a church is make yourself the most important. Well, we gather together and say, no, God, you are most important. That then becomes foundation and fuel for a fruit. For fruit. For a people that are eager to delight and declare and display how awesome God is. Now, who wouldn't want to be around a bunch of people who are so saturated with joy at beholding the greatness and glory of God. That our God-centered, Christ-exalted, spirit-relying worship fuels our love for one another, which in turn witnesses to the world around something awesome. And when does the moon reflect its light? At night. No matter what the world around might be like, no matter how dark it may feel or be, we get to reflect at night a great light. Let's be about that great light. Let's let that foundation set so that when we start talking about bearing with one another and being kind to one another, it's on the foundation of the fact that this great opportunity we have is because of God and who God is and what he has done. So let's make much of him. Now, what happens then? Some assessment. What happens then when we are not great at loving one another? That's not to say we're not. It's a fair question to ask. 
What happens when we are not great at loving another? What's going on in those moments? Well, there are a number of things it might mean. It may mean we are focused on the wrong things with respect to what is most important. If our church family is weak or wobbly in loving one another, it may be because we are focused on the wrong things in respect to what's most important. Broadly speaking, it's not hard to see in our culture, largely, that the last six or so years have been very damaging to the witness of the church because other things have seemed to be most important. Politics or positions on social issues, though those are all very important, have become the most important. So much so that we only love those who agree with us. Narrowing the scope of what Christ is calling us to. Our endeavor together as a church family is to behold the wonder of God through the gospel of His Son. To be transformed by that, to reflect that out. We work together to keep that the main thing. Because we know that will inform the way we love one another. If we only love those who agree with us, eventually it will be a very small circle. Very small, sad circle. That may be what's going on if our loving one another is not great. It also may mean we live with half-hearted commitment to the life together as a church, giving little time, little proximity, or intentionality for one another and that even happen. So we don't even really... Try, we just halvesies, thinking that a couple of halvesies make a whole. Well, that doesn't work that way. Half-hearted commitment ends in one of two ways. In my 20 years of ministry in various places and peoples, half-hearted commitment ends in one of two ways. There's either a radical change to be all in and growing and thriving and striving, or it ends with, with someone looking for any and every reason to finally fully bounce from the church blaming the church for their half-hearted commitment. If we barely make ourselves available for one anothering to even happen, then maybe, just maybe, it's not the church that has the problem. Now, the church could have the problem, for sure. Maybe we're just not great at loving one another. But if, if it's a half-hearted commitment, then what are you really expecting? Now, it also may mean we just simply need to keep growing. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we may just simply need to keep beholding, keep beholding the wonder of God and the sufficiency of Jesus and the brilliance of the gospel. And it may just mean that we just need to keep seeing and feeling the scope of God's love, a love that's poured out to us through Christ and proclaimed and declared and delighted in, in the gospel. And we may just need to keep singing together and keep praying together and keep studying together and keep eating together and keep laughing together and keep crying together and keep sharing together 
Keep playing spike ball together and keep spreading mulch together. Keep doing the kinds of things that help each other, encourage each other, invest in each other more and more. It just may mean we need to keep doing that as we keep gathering and worshiping and beholding and seeing the wonder of God through the gospel. We may just need to keep considering these things together. Our super important because they are reflecting what is most important in our worship and through our witness. Our love of one another reveals what is most important in those ways. And what if we are just, on a very foundational level, all committed to say, yes, let's behold the glory of God together through the gospel. Yes, let's make much of that together. Let's do that together. And see our lives be transformed. And so may, at the start of this series, may we be so transformed by the love of God displayed in the gospel that it cultivates our community to be a reflection of what is possible by the grace of God. And may many others, of all ages, Others come to know this love because of the way we love one another here at Trinity. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us in this way, that you would turn our hearts' attention to you, that together as a church family we would grow at beholding you and wonder and awe and hope and joy, and that would bring a profound change in our, our manner in which we love one another together as a family. As we are coming through this fog of COVID, we, we, we don't want to just simply say, hey, hooray, we're back. God, help us to, to think, how can we grow at being Trinity Baptist Church in Nashua, New Hampshire, to your glory and to the salvation of the lost and to the good of all people? How can we grow at reflecting what we have received? God, would you spur that in our hearts? Would you do that in our lives? Would you do that in the way that we spend time together? And would you bring about that great and glorious change and growth and fruit? All to your glory and all to our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.